Hey friends, Paul Anleitner here. 2019, new year. We're going to do some new things with the podcast here. Some things I've been wanting to do, and we're going to just take steps in that direction and try to do them, including having some episodes where, uh, of course, we'll have, just like we did last year, have some episodes where we do a deep dive on a subject and have a long-form conversation together where we maybe go for an hour or longer to really unpack some some ideas and to do so with careful nuance together. But we're also going to have some opportunity this year for some episodes that are going to be interview-based. I'm excited. I've been reaching out to some some people that I really want to have and introduce you to if you don't know them yet, or just to model for everyone. Uh, one of the main objectives of, of my putting together of this program, which was to model uh, a way of doing dialogue about the deep talk issues, the deep issues that people wrestle with in regards to faith, in regards to theology and philosophy, and to do so in a way that is not combative, it's nuanced, it's respectful dialogue. So I'm excited to have some uh, people to interview this year, but one of the things we're going to do, and this is actually what today's episode is, along with our lengthier uh, options for those that really want to unpack and go deep on stuff. Uh, I also want to offer some brief vignettes, some shorter episodes here that we'll just call shower thoughts. Theological theological shower thoughts. Um, it's a bit of a tongue twister. And today I want to explore something briefly uh, that uh, I've been wrestling with since a shower that I took a few months ago. So a few months ago, as I hop in the shower, now this is not, for most people, many people, this is would not be some sort of transformative experience here. But um, maybe some of you, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you, you might have a, a similar wiring. Anyway, so I hop in the shower, and in the bottom right-hand corner of the tub is this, this spider. Now, I, I'm not a, afraid of spiders. You know, I do not have arachnophobia, but simultaneously, I, I just don't want to have a spider crawling up my leg or anywhere else when I am showering. So, you know, I took some of the water, I turned on the, the faucet, I turned on the shower head, and I, I splashed some water in the general direction of the spider in hopes that the water would force the spider to go down the drain. And yes, uh, that, uh, that's what I did. And uh, it worked. I splashed some water. The spider starts going down the drain. But I noticed something and it just caught my attention about this, this moment here as I, as the spider was being sucked down the drain by the, the current of this water, it was fighting with every ounce to escape its inevitable demise. And I was struck by this. I was struck by the survival instinct of the spider, the strength of its survival instinct. So fast forward to this week, and I was reading a New York Times piece entitled How Beauty is Making Scientists Rethink Evolution. And as I was reading this, I was in my mind, circling back around to that scene with the spider in the shower. 
and a question I have found myself frequently circling back around to over the last few years. And, you know, and you can listen back to um, my podcasts on theology and science. And in it, I, you know, maybe lay out, um, you know, some of the possible options for how we can integrate a high view of general revelation, integrate a high view of science together with also a high view of special revelation in the scriptures. And so in, you know, several years ago, after my own journey of dealing with cognitive dissonance and, and, and trying to understand how to make sense of science and biblical theology and coming to find out that I actually had really bad Bible reading skills and had been um, reading Genesis in a really, really bad way, um, I, I came to the position of uh, evolutionary creationism as the best explanation for both the how and the why of creation. But as I compare evolutionary creationism in a, you know, which isn't a, a Christian, it's a theistic, but especially within the Christian worldview to that of, you know, traditional Darwinian evolution within a naturalist or materialistic worldview, or some people might call a physicalist worldview, which again is a, uh, a view of reality in which all that exists is purely physical and material. So there is no God, no sort of divinity at all. There is no supernatural thing. There is nothing that exists outside of the closed universe, aside from maybe those that might hold to a multiverse, but even the multiverse is a closed system of random cause and effect. The question that I wrestle with and ask as I have attempted to become more, you know, scientifically literate, more literate in the science, in, um, you know, in particular in life science, biological science, evolutionary science, is why evolve? You know, within a purely naturalist, materialist worldview, evolution has no telos. That means there's no goal, there's no end game. There's no intended destination for this process because there's no intender involved in it. It is simply uh, a really long process, been transpiring for billions of years, and it is a uh, series, near-infinite series of random cause and effect has produced the what we would might traditionally call as creation uh, it's w- what's produced humanity and all living things on our planet there's no goal in traditional darwinian evolution evolution isn't going anywhere there's no final point of culmination. So why evolve is the question. All living things are driven by two primal urges. The survival instinct, the thing that I saw in that spider as despite everything that was pulling it down the drain way beyond its power to escape, that survival instinct that I saw in that spider. All things are, are, living things are driven by that urge and the urge to procreate. These, in scientific terms, are really our 
basest instincts, these primal instincts. But but what evolution, Darwinian evolution in a naturalist framework fails to make sense of is why. Why are these the primal urges? And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about why from a just a scientific standpoint. I'm talking about from a philosophical standpoint. Why survive? Why procreate? Why is it that all living things seem to like continuing to live? And not even that, but in the animal kingdom and in humanity, we have this urge to pass on our genetic code and to see though our lives expire, an extension of our life continue on in our progeny. And so the question that I wrestle with is why evolve? Why survive? Why procreate? Because living is also really difficult. Pain, suffering, disease, and violence are, are such common features of living that that one has to wonder at times, humans do this frequently, right? They wonder at times if living is really any better than not living. And certainly as far as we know, humans are the only species on the planet that's even capable of having such thoughts. Yet, what is it that drives the rest of creation to struggle for life? What is it that they're reaching for? Is there perhaps some deep programming in all living things that drives it towards what Christians might call the consummation of all things. A.W. Tozer once wrote, the yearning to know what cannot be known, to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable, arises from the image of God in the nature of man. Deep calleth unto deep, and though polluted and landlocked by the mighty disaster theologians call the fall, the soul senses its origin and longs to return to its source. Perhaps, if Tozer is right, which I tend to believe that he is, perhaps it's not only humanity which longs to be united to the source of life, but rather all creation longs for this. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8 that creation is waiting in eager expectation and expectation for its liberation from bondage to decay. Creation, all of creation, not just humanity, creation all of creation is waiting for the restoration of all things. It's waiting for, another way we might put it, is the completion of God's creation program, which is to be fully realized when heaven and earth become one in the restoration of all things, in this eschatological vision that Christians have held to, in which Christ restores, redeems creation, finishes God's creation project, and sets right all the brokenness, where the lion lies down with the lamb, where little kids can put their hands in, in um, 
is it cobra's nests? I think that's the Old Testament prophetic passage where swords are beaten into plowshares, the peaceful rule and reign of Christ and the restoration of all creation. So allow me to throw out a theory for a moment that perhaps what has driven and what is intended to actually be good, a good driving force in living things to survive and to procreate is actually motivated by God's implanting in creation an eschatological hope. It's God implanting into creation, programming deep down beneath all of the layers of the fall, this yearning to be returned to its source. It's yearning for life. And this gets really interesting for Christians who believe God has given to humanity an ethical vision of the future and has given to humans an ethical prescription that he has intended for creation in order for it to function as he designed it to function. And as Christians hold to this particular ethical vision, there are certain things that following Christ causes us to brush up against these base instincts for survival and for procreation. Or maybe to put it a different way, it brushes up against perversions of those desires for us to act in these sort of fallen animalistic ways. So let me give you a couple couple examples, right? One survival instinct, which perhaps is God-designed. Again, I'm just kind of, this is shower thoughts. We're throwing some stuff out as conversational um, uh, fodder here. But perhaps God has wired in humans, a and in all of creation, this survival instinct, this yearning to, um, to reach the eschaton. But what the fall has done has polluted and perverted that desire to to live, to receive the gift of life that God has given and has polluted it and perverted it so that we would perhaps do things that could cost creation its survival. It could cost our neighbor their survival. It could do harm to them. I'm thinking just to give you some particular examples, right? To to murder someone in order to take their resources to keep you surviving. You know, this is primitive human behavior we um, we see early on in ancient history, and I guess not much has changed, right? Wars for resources, um, the, the violence of a even just a a base thief who in the night uh, resorts to any means necessary to perhaps get what he needs in order to survive. The Christian ethical vision goes, no, that is not the way you are to survive. And it's the same thing, actually, for procreation, for sexual reproduction, right? There's a ethical vision that Christians carry that we believe God has revealed in Jesus and in the scriptures that gives a certain kind of prescription of what procreation 
should look like and procreation that God has intended in the in in Christian history is that it's between a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage which again following this ethical vision allows for the best possible raising of progeny and children and allows for hopefully the maximum opportunity for the proper raising of kids so that they can continue on in the work that God has for humanity in redeeming and restoring creation. I believe that in Christ, God takes our disordered appetites and then rightly orders them. He takes what is dysfunctional about creation and moves it towards the functional design that he has intended for it. And I believe that the Christian story offers us answers to the questions that the naturalistic view of Darwinian evolution just doesn't provide answers for. I believe we are going somewhere. The process is heading towards God's, towards God's completed vision for creation. It's headed towards what creation is yearning for, and that's its liberation from its bondage to decay when there will be no more disordered desires. On that day, a redeemed and restored creation will be permanently and eternally oriented towards the true, the good, and the beautiful If I learned anything back in 1993 watching Jurassic Park, it's that life finds a way. It may be life finds a way because it has a goal. It has a destination. Maybe life finds a way because it's yearning to be united to its source. Thanks for listening to this Shower Thoughts edition of Deep Talks, Exploring Theology and Meaning Making. I'd love it if you subscribed to this podcast, shared it with your friends, maybe left a comment or a rating on the platform, podcast platform of your choice. I love having conversations with new friends, getting to meet new people, and engaging on these really you know, important and deep ideas that help us make sense of our experiences of the world and reality. So till next time, thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon.